All right, let's pray. Please be seated. Let's pray. And Father, we just are so excited about your love and your power in our lives. Father, we are so excited about what you can do, Father, to restore us to yourselves and to make us whole again. Father, that your love and your power is directed at restoring, reconciling, redeeming us back to yourself, making us right with you, Lord, bringing us into relationship with you. And so, Father, this morning, Lord, one of the best steps that we can take to be right with you, to be restored to you, is to go to you and ask for forgiveness for anything that we've done wrong, anything that's in our lives that doesn't need to be there, any mistakes that we've made. Father, we can just go to you and know because of your great love and your great power that we will be forgiven if we ask with faith. And so, Father, we're going to just do that right now. Let's just do that. And Father, forgive us, Lord, of those things. And as we move forward in our relationship with you, may we experience your love in a greater, greater way every day. Father, as we talk about this issue today of you being a substitute, Father, may that represent our lives. Lord, and as we decide and to follow you every day, Lord, may you be the sacrifice for us. Father, may we turn over everything in our lives to you. Father, we ask this morning that you would send your Holy Spirit into our lives to just give us the wisdom and knowledge to put this into place. Lord, making you and allowing you to be our sacrifice, our once and for all sacrifice, Father. Lord, and above all else, we ask that the Holy Spirit would just empower us to live our lives according to your plan. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I'm not going to show a clip this morning, and the reason is because the clip last week was from was Hollywood Clip, and it, show, and it basically demonstrated this idea that people are more than willing um, to sacrifice their lives for something that is worthwhile, or at least Hollywood like, would like for us to believe that. I have the Venti this morning because of getting no sleep uh, with Bridget last night. Okay, so I'm just going to put that there and reference it from time to time, so please forgive me for that. Uh, maybe once a year this happens. All right. Um, so the thing is, is that um, last week in the movie clip, we basically saw a person who was willing to sacrifice their life for a young child because the young child was innocent and had their life to look forward to and all that stuff. And I realized this week, you know, kind of looking for a movie clip, that the problem is it doesn't really capture the idea. There's really no clip out there that captures the idea of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Well, we're, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Plus, this is a longer message, and so we're just going to get right to the heart of it this morning. Jesus as sacrifice. This is our three-week series that we've been working through. Why Jesus' death matters to us. Um, a lot of times, as I mentioned last week, the reason why I'm doing this series is a lot of times we come to church at Easter, and maybe we don't go to church regularly, you know, maybe we just come at Easter, whatever the case may be, or maybe we do come regularly and we come at Easter, and we hear a lot of things about how Jesus died for us, right? I mean, that's the Easter story. But why did he die? Why does it matter that he died? Was it important that he died? Was, did he die just because he was showing how much he loved us? Well, no, that's not why he was dying. And so there's lots of things that we want to talk about. And uh, it's kind of a very, uh, very interesting picture that the Bible presents about Jesus' sacrifice and death for us. We're going to talk about that today. Here's our strategy. 
Last week, I also did something a little bit unusual, which is sometimes I'll want to do a message, and there will be no way for that message to fit in to just one time together, okay? So if you came last week, you got like the preview, except that it was like a 35-minute preview. And the reason why I had to do that is to basically build the backstory. So last week we talked about in the Old Testament, um, if you're familiar with this, if you've been to Sunday school at some point in your life or you watch the History Channel, you'll know that the ancient Israelites, they used to sacrifice animals, right, as a way to be right with God. And one of the big difficulties I find in teaching this idea of the sacrificial system in our world today is because this idea is very foreign to us today. It's a very unusual idea. And it is very easy for pastors and, pe- and speakers to get bogged down in details. They'll show you charts and they'll sh- you know, say, well, the grain offering was for this and the, you know, the, the peace offering was for that and the wave offering was for this, right? And the problem is those details are good and useful, but a lot of times they hide the central big picture truth that's there. So we don't want to do that. So no charts, no images, no pictures or anything like that. We just want to go in and hone in on the truth. And the, one of the big truths um, of the sacrificial system that we talked about last week is that God made it possible that he implemented that to teach people several things. Okay, It was training wheels, although just take that word with a grain of salt, but it was training wheels, as we talked about last week, to teach the people of God several things, including, number one, that when we make mistakes, when we screw up, when we act selfishly, what the Bible calls sin, that when we do those things, that there's consequences for that, right? We can't go steal something from our neighbor, and there'd be no consequences of that. If we did, if we lived in a world like that, the, it would be anarchy, um, and it would not be a very pleasant place to live. But even more so, that there's a consequence of that as far as in our relationship with God. But even more importantly, we talked about last week that when we are trying to overcome the guilt that's in our lives, and by guilt, I do not mean feeling guilty. That's something totally different. But by actually being wrong in a situation, that to overcome that, we have to do something about it. Let me give you an example. If I go and I get in my vehicle and I drive down Capitol Avenue and I run the red light here at Sierra, and the police officer sees me and pulls me over and he gives me a ticket, then he gives me that little piece of paper and it says what? It says you have to check whether you are innocent or whether you have guilt, whether you are guilty, okay? He don't care whether I feel guilty or not, (laughs) right? He just is going to want to know, and the judge is going to know whether I have guilt, whether I am guilty of doing it or not. There's no feeling there, okay? So we talked a lot about this last week, and I painted, tried as best as possible to paint this picture of this. Now, I know that last week I didn't do the best job in the 11 o'clock service. I did, a, I think, a really good job of nailing it in the 9.30. So 11 o'clock, I couldn't get all my ducks in a row. So this week I'm going to make it up to you because this one's going to be better than the 9.30 service. All right, so let's talk about this week. Um, we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is a, is a substitute for us. Sorry, I turned it off. The substitute. Um, let's talk about this. All right, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 through 12. Last week, I did something unusual. I gave you a, a homework assignment, right? I told you, go back and read Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 so that you would really understand um, what's going on or understand better. How many of you did that? Can't lie. You're in church, okay? So I got like two or three. Okay, so here's the thing. Well, you can't lie. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but that's going to present a problem, right? Um, and so the thing is, go home this week. Before you come back next week, read Hebrews 9 and 10. It'll only take you five minutes. Because when you read it, you'll realize there's a lot of complicated ideas here, and it's really hard to unpack them in church. 
life groups. That's, that's why we have those, okay? Hebrews 10, 8 through 12. Let's just read these couple of passages. Last week, we, we did Hebrews 1, I'm sorry, Hebrews uh, 10, 1 through 7. We're going to pick up here at verse 8. All right. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Now, here's a really interesting thing. Um, in my life group this week, um, we had someone who asked me this question. They said, well, pastor, I'm confused because it looks like at the beginning of the Bible that God really wants people to make sacrifice. But even before you get to the New Testament, when you get to the prophets, there are lots of verses like this, which he's quoting, which says sacrifices doesn't matter. I don't understand. Is, were sacrifices required or were they not? Well, that's what we're going to talk about a lot today. You see, the problem is, is that what God requires of us and what he wants of us sometimes are two different things. But even more importantly, there is an, out, an exterior part of it and then there's an internal part of it as well. So what happens is, is that those things are not internally consistent. We're going to, I mean, they're not contradictory. Sorry, they are internally consistent. They are not contradictory, and here's why. Because from the beginning to the end of the Bible, the Bible always says that faith is what puts us right with God. It's faith, okay? Now, we're going to, we're going to go through this very clearly in just a minute, but let me give you an example. Even all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, right, the first time we really have a conflict or anything like that, the Bible is clear that it is faith that will restore people back to God. All the way to Revelation, it is faith that makes us right with God. We're going to talk about this because sometimes we get caught up in the external and we miss the internal. All right, let me just continue for a moment. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. This is Jesus speaking here that he has come to do God's will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. Really what it says in the original language is that he takes over the first covenant. And what that means is, is that he is coming to be a sacrifice himself to end all the other sacrifices that need to be made. Again, we're going to develop this as time goes on here this morning. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all time. Under the old covenant, again, this is the idea of Moses here, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. That's talking about Jesus. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now let me mention one other thing too. I mentioned this at the end of the service, in the, in the first service, but I want to say this up front here. You have to understand that Hebrews was written for Jewish people who were so convinced by culture that they forgot what God's original plan for them was. Okay, So there were a lot of people who came to Christ in the first century and culture and their, their religious culture had so confused them that this is really directed to them, not to regular folks like us, because none of us here, I don't think, are Jewish. Um, certainly we're not Jewish in the Jewish system. Okay, So what we have to do is then break it down very simply for us. Let's talk about this real quickly this morning. Three ideas if you want to follow along um, in your handout this morning. I need one more shot of espresso. Hold on. Our guilt is not removed by ritual. Okay, this is really critical, is that our guilt is not removed by ritual. Here's what happens. When we do something wrong, when we sin, when we make mistakes, at sin, that guilt that we bear because of it cannot be removed um, by ritual. Ancient sacrifice was the ritual demonstration of faith. Okay, 
Let me say that like eight times. Ancient sacrifice was the ritual demonstration of faith. What that means is, is that when the people came into the temple and they made the sacrifice, whether the grain offering, peace offering, whatever, it doesn't matter the detail, what they were doing is they were using a ritual to demonstrate their faith before God, okay? So what would happen is God said, listen, and we talked about this last week, to give the world training wheels, to understand that a sacrifice of monumental proportions is required to allow people to be right with God, to have relationship with Him, then we've got to set up a, a way, a covenant, a system whereby people will understand that sacrifice, okay? And so when people would go and they would sacrifice in the temple and they would kill the lamb or they would kill the bird or whatever it would be and whatever type of offering it is, then that was a ritual demonstration of faith. This is really important, okay? Because them going and sacrificing in the temple without faith really didn't do any good. All they were doing at that point in time was killing an animal or making some other kind of sacrifice because it is faith that makes a difference. Again, we look at Genesis 3, right? And the Bible all the way, way before Moses, although Moses compiled the, the first five books of the Bible, even before Moses was given the covenant, he understood that what? That God had designed that there would be one eternal final sacrifice for all people. And that would be this Redeemer that would come in the future. Moses didn't know who it would be, but he knew that God would do it. The first book of the Bible ever written down on paper, one paper, papyrus or codex or whatever it was, right, was Job. And Job said, what? I know that my Redeemer lives, and one day he will stand upon the earth, right? Because he knew that God was going to send someone who would be a sacrifice for him, who would be a Redeemer for him, who would get him right with God. So, the thing is, is that, and of course, we look also in Genesis, we see the example Abraham, this example that everyone in the Bible refers to. Abraham did what? How did Abraham get right with God? Did he go and make sacrifice? No. What did he do? He went, and when God told him what was going to happen in his life, Abraham believed God, put his faith fully in God, and God did what? Credited him with righteousness. In other words, God said, look, even though you have sin in your life, I'm going to extend to you credit, the credit of my righteousness, so that you can have relationship with me. So where does this leave us with the ancient sacrifices? Well, again, as we talked about last week, in this whole backstory, right, these ancient sacrifices were the ritual demonstrations of faith. So when people would come and they would make sacrifice, it was because they had faith, or it was supposed to be, because they had faith in God, and the sacrifice was demonstrating that. It was the external demonstration of that. Let me prove this a little bit. What is this a picture of? Children praying. Okay, now, in this picture, there are two things. Number one, because they're children, we'll just assume. But number one, there's faith. And number two, there's ritual. What's the faith part of it that you see in this picture? Well, the fact that they are speaking to God. See, I don't want to use praying here, okay, because it'll confuse us. The fact that they are speaking to God and believe by faith in their heart that God hears their prayer and will answer their prayer. That is faith. What is the ritual we see in this picture? That's right. This is the ritual. Now, let me ask you a question. Do we have to do this when we pray? No, of course. The ancient Israelites, how do they pray? Right? That's how they pray. Okay? So we don't have to do that. Now, if I go out in the street corner... If I go out down here on the street corner and I get down on, you know, one knee and I'm sitting there and the cars are going by and I go, you know, God, Sunday morning, because I want everyone to see me. 
you know, God, I'm really upset that Terrell Owens got traded from the Cowboys, and um, I don't know, you know, okay, so, man, what's Dallas going to do? I mean, you know, I know, okay, so I don't even know if they acquired a better wide receiver. I mean, the 49ers have no chance. You know, the Redskins don't look good either. I mean, so, okay, so what am I doing here? Am I praying? Well, okay. <laughs> If I'm sitting here, right, go Steelers, yeah, whatever, okay. So if I'm sitting here and I look like I'm praying, but I'm not actually speaking to God, then am I praying? If I'm thinking about other things, then I'm not praying, am I? No. So, here's the thing. We can practice ritual without having faith, right? Because I can go out in the street corner and I can bow down and I can look like I'm praying. I can go through the ritual of praying without actually praying. Here's where this becomes really important for us today and for us to understand the Old Testament system as well. People tend to mistake ritual for faith. They tend to mistake ritual for faith, right? Because ritual is the outward demonstration of faith. When we believe something, somehow we act on it, right? I mean, whether we pray like this, like the ancient Israelites, we pray like this, you know, the Western way of praying, or we just pray like, okay, I'm going to try not to use any body motions, and then 100 years from now, everyone will start praying like this because that's the way they'll think that we have to pray, right? And so the thing is, is that there's always going to be an outward demonstration of faith, but that outward demonstration, that ritual may have nothing to do with faith, right? And in fact, people tend to mistake ritual for faith. If I do this in the restaurant or at the mall or somewhere in public place, what is everyone going to think I'm doing? But I may be thinking about the cowboys. This may be a comfortable position for me. And I just may be reflecting on the Cowboys, or I may be reflecting on the Steelers, if you will, right? And have nothing to do with praying. We see this in our world all the time, right? Let's, let me give some examples. See, here's some good rituals, and we'll get into bad rituals in a second, but good rituals that can go bad. Acting generally religious, right? Because when you see people who act religious, then what happens? People think, oh, they are religious, whether they are or not, right? And I even use, uh, I even want to cite Bible verses on these so no one would think I'm making this up. But prayer, like Matthew 6, right, where Jesus talks about if, you know, if you're going to go out, if you're going to pray, don't go out on the street and make a big deal of it, right? And so what happens is, is that we can go out on the street and turn prayer into a ritual rather than allowing it to be an act of faith. Taking communion can be a ritual, right? I mean, everybody can come into church, and we're going to do communion this morning, but we can, I can do what? I can, we can serve the communion. And you could be thinking, man, this is a, a good little snack before I go to lunch, right? Not a big snack, but at least enough to get the, you know, the metabolism going, right? Then it becomes what? An act of faith? No, a hollow ritual, doesn't it? Giving money, right? A lot of people do this. A lot of people come, they throw 20 bucks in the offering plate, hoping God will do something, right? But it's what? A ritual that may or may not have faith behind it. What about attending church, Right? A lot of people come to church on Easter. A lot of people come to church just randomly, you know, because they think that somehow coming to church is going to do something for them. It's a ritual. Now, here's the thing I want to, let me draw the point here. In the ancient world, it was very easy for people to do what? To go to the temple, to make sacrifice, and it be what? Just a ritual. Now, before you blame them, guess what happens in our world today? Lots of people go to church, and it's just a ritual for them. There's no faith there. It's just a ritual. 
right? The problem is, is that doing the ritual doesn't bring us any closer to God. This is why the Bible comes back later and says sacrifices are not what God desires. What the Bible is saying there is ritual without faith is not what God desires, right? Just because the Israelites went and made, they say, oh, look, I'm an Israelite. And they go to the temple and they make a sacrifice, right? If they have no faith, didn't do any good. Because what God desires is our heart to change for there to be faith in that ritual. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road a little bit. Because we all know people who do what? Practice rituals rather than having real faith. And that becomes a problem. And in fact, here's where culture really messes it up. Because when you go to someone and you ask someone, let's say you go to a coworker and you say, Hey, just taking a survey here. What do you think that, you know I'm a Christian. You know I go, you know. You know I'm a Christian, so what do I have to do to have a relationship with God? In your opinion, what are they going to say? Let me, let me say that again. If you go to someone at work, and um, that person, you talk to them, you're dialoguing with them, and you ask them, what would I say about having a relationship with God? What are they going to answer you? I know I asked it like from the backward side. They're going to say what? Go to church, right? Why would they say go to church? If you ask the average person out there, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to have a relationship with God? In the Christian perspective, they're going to say go to church. Why are they going to say go to church? Because going to church is the ritual that they see. Now, I'm not saying that all, I'm not saying that all rituals are bad, okay? We'll talk about that. Some rituals can be good, right? But the thing is they are only external demonstrations of faith. That's all they are, okay? And so we have to make sure that we don't confuse ritual for faith. Let me make one more point here. It's the same way in the ancient world. So when we try to understand the sacrificial system, right, there were lots of people who would go, they would make sacrifices in the temple, right? They had no faith, and people thought what? Well, if I'm going to be a follower of God, then what do I have to do? Make sacrifice in the temple. When the truth has always been what? Faith. Since the beginning of time, the one way to be right with God is faith. Faith is the mechanism that does it. Look, we may have different rituals, right? We may sacrifice. If we're an ancient Israelite living 2,000 years ago, we may sacrifice in the temple. If we live in the modern world now, we may go to church, right? But those are just external rituals that help us in our relationship with God, and they are not the faith that causes our relationship with God to begin with. Now, of course, there's, when I use this word ritual, I want to be careful because I'm not talking about ritual in the sense of if I go down to some pagan god, you know, in Santa Cruz and uh, burn some candles for that god. That's a different kind of ritual, okay? Um, that's bad in all kinds of ways, okay? What I'm talking about is these ideas that, that we see in the Bible that God encourages us to do, but he encourages us to do them because our faith is there. So like giving, for example, we give, but if we give just to give, then it don't really do anything because it has to be an act of faith. It has to be an act of faith. doesn't matter how much money you give. If it's not driven by your faith for with God and your faith for God, it doesn't matter. All right, let me move on just real quickly um, beyond this point. Rituals are the outward demonstration of our faith. Rituals cannot remove our guilt. Our guilt, however, still must be completely removed. There's no option about this. There's no way to get around this. Our guilt must be completely removed if we're going to be right with God. Here's the thing. Our rituals only cover our mistakes for a time, okay? Um, that, that's, this is what happens because when we approach God 
then rituals are only designed to help us to build faith. They don't actually bring faith into our lives. Let me explain this because I can see there's going to be a little confusion over this one. Let me give you examples. When the ancient Israelites came and they made sacrifice in the temple, right, um, what happened is, is that that sacrifice covered the ancient Israelites for a time um, in two senses of the word. It covered them for a time because in the bigger sense of the word, Jesus was going to come and cover them for all time. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But it also covered them for a time because as we see, as we read in Hebrews, what, what had to happen to the Jewish people at the time? The people of God, a couple thousand years ago, what did they need to do? Well, it says here, let's see. Under the Old Covenant, verse 11, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins, right? And so what happens is they kept making the offering over and over again, and there were lots of people who thought that all I need to do is do what? Just come in and kill some animal, and I'm good, and I can live however I want to. I can do whatever I want to, and they didn't have faith. Without faith, it doesn't remove sin, but even the blood sacrifice of the animal did not completely remove their faith. They needed something a little bit more. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Oh, let me work through this thought, this thought experiment. Even today, when we pray and ask God to forgive our sins, it is not our prayer that causes forgiveness, right? And I'm not even talking about the ritual part of it. I'm saying when we pray, it only gets us a little bit. Let me give you an example why. It is the one-time permanent sacrifice of Jesus that allows for forgiveness to come into our lives. And it is our faith spoken in prayer that takes hold of that forgiveness that God extends through Jesus. Okay, so let me be very clear here. It is a sacrifice of Christ that allows for us to be forgiven, not our prayer, right? Our prayer in and of itself only does what? It requests that God do this, right? We're asking in faith, if it's a real prayer, that God does it. But it is the sacrifice of Jesus that actually eliminates the sin from our lives. If Jesus had never come to earth and died as a sacrifice for us, would our prayer be, would it work? Would it remove all of our sin? No, as we're going to talk about in just a second. Let me mention this. This is the reason that if a person asks God to forgive him or her without faith, there is no forgiveness. Let me say it this way. So I can prove to you it's not your prayer that does it. It's Jesus' sacrifice that does it. Let's say your coworker is on is find, find out finds out he's got like two months to live. He's got cancer, right? Two months to live. So he decides that he's going to go to the church and he's going to pray and ask for God to forgive all he's ever done wrong, so he can get to the big house in the sky, right? And then he goes to the Buddhist temple and he goes to the Hindu temple and he goes to the uh, Islamic mosque and he goes to all the different pray, places and offers the same prayer. What is he doing? Well, he's covering all bases, but to use the language I used earlier this morning, he's doing what? Performing a bunch of rituals. Because what he's doing is, he ain't going to come into the church and do what? Say, okay, God, I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus. Forgive me, right? He's going to come down to the front, bow down with his head to the ground, right? Ask me, where can I light a candle, right? And that's what he's going to do. And then he's going to do the same thing, whatever the Hindu guy tells him, whatever the Muslim guy tells him. That's what he's going to do, right? Because the problem is, is that you are, we are in danger always as people of confusing ritual with faith, right? So what happens is, is that when we go out into our world, what do we see? 
we see a whole world that confuses ritual faith. Again, you ask people, what does it mean to be Christian? What are they going to say? Go to church, right? But that's the outward ritual. What does it mean to pray? We teach our kids. But that is the outward ritual. What does it mean to love God in the ancient world? Make sacrifices. Uh uh uh. That was the outward ritual of what should have been happening in the hearts of the ancient people of Israel. You know, the reason why Hebrews was written, I mentioned this earlier, is because the Hebrew people were so confused by their culture. The Jewish people at the time of Christ, they were so confused by their culture, they didn't have any idea about this. Why? Because the Pharisees had come and different groups had come and they had built, they had built all these external rituals, more and more on it, right? And we see that in our world today because, let's be honest, there's all kinds of institutions that want to build all these rituals onto our relationship with God that don't matter, right? They're just external things. When at the heart of it is what? Us having faith in God. Abraham never sacrificed, but yet the Bible is very clear that he believed in God through faith and God gave him full credit of his righteousness, of his goodness, of his power in his life, right? And the same thing holds true for us all the way through the Bible. The same thing holds true to us. It is not the external ritual. It is what God has done specifically through Jesus that allows us to be right with him. So this is the reason why we can't unfortunately go around and shop around our prayers because it doesn't work, right? Because they're not offered in faith. Of course, if someone comes to, has two months to live, comes to BVC and in faith asks for forgiveness, of course God will forgive them, right? But it is not because of the power of the prayer or the heart of the broken person. It is because first and foremost, Jesus died for them as a sacrifice and opened the door for that prayer to have meaning and efficacy to begin with for it to be effective to begin with. Jesus was a sacrifice as well as a substitute for us. Let's talk about this a little bit, because here's what happened. Not only, we've talked about this ritual problem, and now we need to jump real quickly onto the sacrifice and the substitution problems, because what happens is, is that when we deal with this, we know that we cannot do a ritual. Let me give you an example. I run the red light, from the example that we used last week. I run the red light, um, the cop pulls me over, says, are you innocent? Are you do you have guilt? Are you guilty? And so I, I have to say guilty because he's got the clock or the picture or whatever. And so I go before the judge, and the judge says, okay, you've run a red light, and um, we're going to sentence you to thousands of hours of community service, 250 bucks, whatever. And uh, so I say, hmm, what could get me out of the situation? How about a ritual? So I think about, like, Bugs Bunny and go, hello, my darling, hello, you know, right? And I do that for the judge, and he says, no, 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 just stop. Just, no. A ritual is not going to get you out of this, right? You can sing, you can dance, those are rituals, but it's not going to absolve you. You have to make right with the people of California, state of California. You got to make right with it. So I think about it, and I say, okay, so how about, um, how about I give a lot of money, right? And... In California, that would work because that would get us off the, you know, we'd be done with the ticket and that sort of thing. Um, if we give a whole lot of money, I don't know, maybe they, you know. But the thing is, is that here's what comes into a problem, right? The problem that where this idea breaks down is that we don't just make one mistake in our lives. If we were really to go before the judge in the state of California, he would say, well, you ran the red light, but oh, by the way, Mr. Estes, you have 25 unpaid parking tickets. You have several speeding tickets. You have a bunch of citations on your name. How are you going to pay for all that, right? So the problem is, is that we need something to really push us over the top 
to get rid of this. Because not only do we have mistakes in our past, not only do we have mistakes in our present, but we have mistakes where? In our future, right? So because we know that before, from this day forward to the day we die, we're going to continue to make mistakes. The Bible says that we have sin in our lives. There's no way to overcome it. We try to minimize that, right? We don't want to do it. We try really hard not to do it. We ask for forgiveness because of what Christ has done. But it's still a struggle that we have, right? So somehow the judge wants us to pay for, get this, all the stuff we've done wrong in the past, the stuff that we did today, running the red light, and all the stuff we're going to do in the future. Well, how in the world are we going to do that, right? How do we do that? Well, here's the interesting thing. When we talk about Jesus coming and dying on the cross for us, is that he was not just a sacrifice, but he was a substitute for us as well. Oh, let me just, I don't have a slide for this, so let me just build this picture. So, okay, I, I stand before the judge, and I think, okay, no, hello, my baby, hello, my darling, because uh, he's not going to take ritual. And I don't really have the money myself to cover it. So, and since a lot of it is time-consuming, community service, all this stuff, what if I found someone who would take my place, right? Sounds like a good idea, right? What if, instead of penalizing me, I could find a scapegoat, to use a biblical word, I could find someone who would take the penalty for me, right? That would be pretty awesome. So I think about it, and I say, Judge, I have an idea. Uh, I really don't want to pay for all my past, present, and future transgressions that I'm going to have, so is it okay if I have someone pay that for me, right? Judge says, okay, I can, I can, yeah, so as long as somebody pays, state of California don't care. As long as they get their money, their community service, they don't care, right? So here's the thing. I go out on the street, and I see some homeless guy. I say, hey, dude, come here. I'll give you 50 bucks if you go in that courtroom and tell them that you'll take all of the penalty from me on you. You'll do the community service, you'll do this. Don't worry, you'll get, you'll get food, probably they'll, uh, the men give you a place to stay, all that stuff, right? So the homeless person goes in there from the judge and says, hey, and I say, listen, this is the guy that's going to be my substitute to take the penalty for my mistakes. Why will that not work? Because the homeless person has his own penalty pay for, doesn't he? See, the problem is, is that the judge is going to look at the homeless person and say, wait a minute, I know him. We already ticketed him four years ago, two weeks ago, next month for what? Loitering, for trespassing, for this, for that, right? He's got his own baggage to deal with. No, 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 no. If you want to get out of this, you need to find a substitute that doesn't have a record. Right? And so, of course, we know that God sent Jesus to come into our world to be a sacrifice, a substitute for us, because he was sinless. He had no sin. So when we ask Christ, and this is the biblical example, but when we ask Christ to stand before God and take the penalty of our mistakes, he can do it because he doesn't have those blemishes in his life. In fact, the Bible says that he is the Lamb of God, and it uses the metaphor of lamb because the lamb is white as snow, without blemish, without stain, without mistake, without anything in his life. And that's what allows Jesus to be not only a sacrifice, but be a substitute. So when Christ comes and dies for us at Easter, right, he comes and dies as a sacrifice because he's sacrificing his life for us. But he's actually doing more than that because he's actually being what the Bible, well, theology calls a substitutionary atonement for us, which means what he's doing is he's stepping into our spot and our place and taking all the bad stuff that we deserve on his back. He is able to do it. I'm getting a little hit of my slides here. But he is able to do it. Why? Because first of all, he is without blame. But second of all, because he is fully God himself. 
And by that, he is powerful enough, by that, he is perfect enough, by that, he is significant enough to take the blame for himself. If I go to that judge and the judge says, uh, you got to pay for all your mistakes, and I say, well, judge, can I go get someone to substitute for me? And he says, yeah, okay, well, I'll entertain this idea, right, if I'm using my, I don't know, Boston legal speak or something here, right? Um, I go out, I see the homeless person, I say, I know the judge is never going to let me get by on a homeless person. So I go down to the Scientology Center, and I capture Tom Cruise, put the bag over his head, drag him to the courtroom, right, bring him in. And I say, listen, Tom Cruise is going to stay in my place. The judge says, wow, that's, I like having Tom Cruise here more than you. So, yeah, you can be, he can be a substitute for you, right? Well, that's a silly story. But to pay for our mistakes... All of our mistakes require someone bigger and better than ourselves. And that's the reason why only Jesus can satisfy our guilt. He's the only one who has the power to do it. He's the only one who has the right, who has the power and the standing to go before the judge, to go before God and to say, listen, God, Douglas screwed up. He knows he did it. He wants to be forgiven. So I want to be a substitute for him. What that means is he pays the price. He pays the penalty. He does the community service. He does the time because of us. And I get to go what? Free. Free. Now, when we talked last week about sacrificing the animal, and we talked about, you know, if you could kill your little pet lamb. Remember Sam the lamb from last week, right? It would be hard to do that, right? Hard to kill your little animal. Well, that's the thing. It's supposed to be hard because it's supposed to be painful to realize that we get to go free while an innocent man gets to be our substitute and take our penalty. He didn't get to do the fun stuff, quote-unquote, by going out and being as bad as we want to be, right? He gets to just pay the penalty for us. Unlike the ancient system, Jesus is a perfect sacrifice. We developed this for a second. Why did Jesus need to come and die on the cross for our sins? It's because he needed to be a sacrifice for us. You could say, well, how come Jesus didn't, I mean, it seems kind of silly to me, because how come Jesus didn't, like, uh, you know, come to earth, and then when the, the, the Romans and the Jewish leaders start persecuting him, why didn't he just say, uh, okay, God, I'm in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm practicing this ritual of prayer. I got my head bowed and my, you know, my, my hands clasped. Take this cup away from me. Just pull me up to heaven. Bring the chariot. I'm ready to go home. I proved that I can be a substitute for people. Why did Jesus need to actually die on the cross? He needed to actually die on the cross because he had to have his blood shed to be that sacrifice, to be that substitute. Let me give an example. If I go out here today, uh, let me not use me in this situation. If a person, a bad person, goes out here today and murders someone, right? And we say, oh, you know, okay, uh, maybe California will give them 20 hours community service. Oh, uh, maybe they'll have to go make a, a, an offering of killing an animal. Would that cover that? Would that be fair? Would that be justice? No, it wouldn't be, right? And so in the same way, God knew that to pay for all of the mistakes, to be just and fair, all the mistakes that we'll ever make takes the actual blood of someone far greater than an animal, far greater than you and I. Even if the murderer sheds his blood, he can never restore back the blood that he shed. Only something far more significant, only God himself can do that. And that is why God required that. Unlike the ancient system, Jesus is a perfect sacrifice. Let me just read this real quickly here in Hebrews 9. 
With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Skipping down a few verses. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of their sins they had committed under the first covenant. And then in verse 25. And he did not, uh, uh, sorry, 26. And if that had been necessary, the stuff that we have been talking about in a second. Oh, like the high priest here on earth who enters the holy place year after year into the temple with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice, right? Because he is able to sacrifice himself completely. He is pure. He is divine. He is without any sin. He is God incarnate. And so if he is able to sacrifice himself for you and me, to put himself in our place, to take away the mistakes that we have made. As we're going to pick up next week, Jesus continues to testify on our behalf before God. This is the awesome thing. I'm just going to, I'm just going to hit on this right here real quickly. But at the end of our passage we read today, it said, Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. So not only does he serve as a substitute for our mistakes, but he is right now acting as our substitute in heaven, right? Even when we go out and we struggle, we face problems in this life, he is there acting as a substitute, ready to be there. He does not want us to have ritual that without faith, because there's plenty of rituals, there's all kinds of rituals that we can do, but it doesn't remove our guilt. Only someone willing and capable and powerful enough to, to not only sacrifice themselves for us, but put themselves in the penalty phase for us to be a substitution for us, only that is going to eliminate all the mistakes that we have made and set us right with God. Only that is going to make the judge happy. Only that is going to bring justice to our world. The cool thing is, is that the way we have that is what? What do we have to do to get Jesus to be our substitute? What do we need to do? Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Right? Is that what we need to do? Faith. It is simply our faith that allows him to work in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and with all his bound eyes closed, a ritual I know. Lord, I just want to give an opportunity. If there's anyone here this morning that has never, that, that, or, or that's, you know, that just says, God, I've been, I've been looking at rituals my whole life, and I've never put my faith in you. Maybe there's someone here for the first time who says, I want to put my faith fully in God, no more trusting in rituals. Is there anyone here like that who wants to do that? Just lift up your hand this morning. Anyone here like that? All right, then for the rest of us here, Father, Lord, we pray, first of all, that we would not put, our, put our, our hope and trust in rituals, Father, but that we would put our faith in you, Lord, that above all else, we would trust in you and you alone, Father, that we would just take hold of that, of your desire to work into our lives, and we would put our faith in you. Father, I pray that as we go through our world, there will be so many people who we meet who are convinced that knowing you is all about ritual. And I pray, Father, that you would point them to the sacrifice that Jesus made, to the faith that we must have in that sacrifice. Father, there are so many people in our world who are confused by this. They're confused by their culture. Father, help us to, be, to reach out to those people and to demonstrate that it is sacrifice faith that really makes the difference, that really is the meaningful thing. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.